Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in bodywork, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. It was such a pleasure to be in conversation today with Andrea Olson. Andrea is a performer, author, and educator, as well as a professor emerita of dance at Middlebury College and a certified instructor of Holden Qigong and Embody Yoga. She is the author of a quartet of books on embodiment, along with numerous articles and chapters and anthologies. We highly recommend all that she writes, and we'll put a link in the notes where you can buy some of her books. Recent projects include Continuing the Body and Earth, seven web-based somatic excursions film project with Scotty Harwig and Karen McCose, and performing Awakening Grace, Six Somatic Tools. In today's conversation, we spoke about a wide gamut of topics, including how Andrea came to be the powerhouse that she is. We discussed the creative and artistic processes, her books and the importance they have on a global spectrum, being an educator, embodiment, nonverbal communication, the release of her new book, and as always, really just so much more. We hope to have her on again and explore even more topics along the spectrum of being a living, breathing, embodied being. Just a note, She has some upcoming talks and performances in Berkeley, California, Boulder, Colorado, London, England, and Bergen, Norway. And you can find out that info on her website under the Schedule tab. So with that, let's begin our talk. Hi, Nikki. I'll start by just saying, um, well, A, thanks for making time. Uh, And I... I wanted to have you on for a while, but I really wanted to have you on. And I told you this, but I'll repeat it for people who don't know. Two months ago, I was in the middle of the jungle of Sri Lanka, very foreign country. And the teacher was actually from India. And we were talking and she said, oh, yeah, this is my Bible. And she took out Body Stories, uh, which is the book that you, you wrote with Karen a long time ago, I'm guessing, based on that <laughs> that that face. Um, but it was also it was it's become sort of a Bible for me as well. Uh, it's a book I love. I have a very, I won't go into the story of how it came to me, but it's a lovely story of how it came to me. And then I, since I've bought other books of yours and taken classes with you, and I just really, really enjoy what you have to offer. But I also enjoy the fact that there was just this really amazing thing about being so far away in the world and having this book of words and of practices from you and so i was like okay that's a sign let's have let's have andrea on and so yeah here we are another small story i was in a separate call last night with some people and one of the people said we love your podcast i said well okay just so you know we're gonna have a talk with andrea olson and this lady's face lit up like oh my god great i'm so excited that's gonna be so great i can't wait to hear so people are excited so some people will know you and some won't so i thought you want to share something about you so people can know who we're talking to? Those are those are lovely stories to um, walk us into this conversation. And just to acknowledge, it feels like these intentional conversations are journeys, and we don't really know where we're headed, but we bring whatever of ourselves forward that we can. The nice thing about a book, of course, Uh, And there are four now, but one each decade uh, over the last four decades. 
but they have their own lives. So they go to South Africa or they go to East Asia or <laughs> they travel. And um, just knowing that people around the globe are sharing ideas and inspired is, uh, is one of the reasons to keep writing. So I would say that as a dancer, which was my one of my passions and still is, I'm, I'm still a performer at age 74. So I'm not going to let that go till I die. <laughs> um, but as a dancer, it disappears and books, the embodied word um, can travel and last, sometimes out, outlast the experience of the movement itself. So I appreciate these different mediums and podcasts have their own rich life. And what I'm realizing speaking with you and with Nikki is that um, I'm actually trying to not look at you, even though we're on Zoom with each other, because I recognize that the voice needs to carry the communication, not my eyes or my mouth or my shoulders or my body. And that's a whole rich conversation in itself. I think embodied voice has been one of my challenges throughout my life. So I would say that I was first a painter, um, which was silent, and then I danced because that too was silent, uh, expressing through the whole body. And then I began writing because I could edit my words and now I make films so I can see if what I look like is similar to what I'm feeling. So there's always this dialogue between what the inner experience is and how it lands through space to someone else or even to myself as it becomes more conscious. So it isn't really telling you about myself, but it's telling you about the moment where I'm noticing the vibration of voice and the connection through our exchange. And recognizing that voice voice is a is a medium so let's let's hear one more a little more from you and then i'll be a little clear about my history of no I, I love that because even just hearing you say it is words are almost at a loss and, and, and i hope that this travels through uh when people are are hearing it as well because it is there's so much rich context in in what is being said in our, in the voice and how it's being said, and I, I really appreciate the 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 nod to these being stories, these episodes, these conversations, because that's I I love to read. I was diagnosed as a child with various learning disabilities that made conversion to words challenging, which later I started to figure out as well maybe a nervous system regulation. Uh, aspect as I became more into embodiment work and whatnot. Um, so writing is something that I, I had trouble with. I still have trouble with. And so having these, and, and I never, I didn't really put the connection until just now that this is maybe my way of expressing instead of through a written word, but having these, these, these stories um, out there. And so it's very, it's very rich. And, you know, I've talked about this before with, about, being in conversation with Karen McCose, your friend and, and longtime collaborator, where I would, I wouldn't even need words per se. I would go up and talk to her. I'd ask her a question and say, Karen, I'm not sure. Oh, no. Okay. And there was so much that I believe it was as I was going to communicate, she was already 
receiving that and having this other communication. And I feel very similar in here that as you're talking, it's more than just words. There is expression through, um, whether it's through the body, through the, the ether. There, there's another nice thing that I don't think you're, I don't think I shared with you, which is the person we had just before was from Japan. So much of that conversation was the space between and, and, the, and, and it was so important and so rich. So everything you're saying lines up, not just with today in this call, but with a broader story. So I'll just leave that at that. Well, that's certainly the theme uh, of this last book, The Moving Between Worlds. It's uh, a, gu a guide to embodied living and communicating. And it's sort of reflecting on what you're talking about, Andrew, which is these different modes throughout our lifetime that we and skills that we develop as dancers or painters or body workers or um, politicians <laughs> or teachers, educators, all of all of those dimensions. And I think what's so important for me is the ability to shift lenses or to shift modalities and uh, find the richness for how communication can best happen. And that communication is with self as well as with other people, and certainly with the places that we're inhabiting moment by moment. So that rich um, melange of communication challenges is what I've been thinking about, writing about over the last decade. But I would say that my background as a performer, as a dancer, um, one of the things about being a dancer in my eras starting in the 60s through now, is that you toured, you traveled around the world, uh, and, and that was part of being a dance performer. So dancing in Japan and, and noticing if I couldn't speak the language um, with someone, how deeply the communication still occurred, as well as the relationship to what performance is um, really consider the contemporary modern dance world as a sacred practice. So I was doing a solo performance in Tokyo in a small studio, and I had a chair in my performance, and my host spent the whole day polishing and preparing the chair. And because it was going to be a ritual object, not just the chair. <laughs> and that taught me so much about um, relationship to objects and place as living energies and themselves. And then the performance ended and there was, you know, there was the usual clapping, but then there was silence and respecting that I as performer had to come back from that transformative state before having conversation with audience members. And then they took me upstairs and they had a very special little dinner and asked very specific in-depth questions about, you know, what the work was. So even though language was limited, there were all these layers of how we were communicating, even through the food, but certainly through the context of of what performance means in different cultures. 
And then in China, in uh, Beijing, I walked into the ballet academy to teach and I couldn't find my host. So I walked into one studio. These are just a few of many stories, but I walked into a studio and a young man was dancing to music and he just took my hand and we had this amazing duet with lifts and falls and movement around the space. And then the music ended and we bowed to each other and I left and never saw him again. But the depth of that communication um, is, you know, you have these sort of ground moments of, oh, this is what it feels like to communicate with someone. Same thing in South Korea with um, a national treasure performing with a wonderful man there who is a national treasure and not a word could we exchange, um, but the experience of connection, it viscerally is you know, with me. So when I have a spoken conversation, that's sort of my baseline of what it feels like to really be in dialogue with someone at a sort of a cellular level, but also not just within the body, but within the room and within the, you know, the natural world that's surrounding us, the context. So that's, that's, a, that's part of my history of moving from painting and drawing, which actually feeds into, uh, Andrew and Nikki, it really feeds into writing because learning how to transmit the energies that you're working on communicating out through a hand uh, for painting and drawing and spending hours and hours and hours as you do in art school, trying to get below the cortical level. And so you get a gesture that's a more free and embodied Matisse-like <laughs> capture this, this moment. Sometimes you have to wait for hours or wade through hours of trying before those spontaneous moments have a little bit more truth to them. But it's very similar to writing where you're, you know, the hand is there, the pen is there, but there's a, yeah, there's an embodied state that leads to pen moving on page. And then of course, in this day and age, that goes from pen to page to keyboard. That's another whole level. And then editing and editing and editing and editing. Well, Andrea, what I really enjoyed listening, one of my takeaways from listening to your TED Talk that's posted on your website is that you, well, first I thought it was really cool how you were moving and speaking and really integrated that. I think that's um, not often seen, but very much, uh, it just really spoke to the embodiment of what you were speaking to. And then how you also mentioned um, that when you write, you're writing for the experience and writing to kind of still deepen that embodiment, which I really just valued that statement because I think a lot of times people write to, to make a point or to prove something. And I thought it was just really re refreshing and possibly giving people permission to explore their their written language and the way they they their style of communicating that and giving freedom that it doesn't have to be like 
that it doesn't have to be perfect or it doesn't have to be making a point or in this day and age, the whole influencing influencer model that you can just be your authentic self and speak and write from that. And there's a lot of value to it. There are a lot of, a lot of layers there to follow up with Nikki. <laughs> I was going down about five of them. You know, one of them is, you know, the old Gertrude Stein statement that, sorry, I don't have time to write a short letter. You know, that you, there's so much work to be able to write something that feels simple and direct. Um, so that's one. The other is Robert Frost, no surprise in the writer, no surprise in the reader meaning that I write to discover. And if I'm not shaking by the end of writing, then I don't feel like I've had a good writing session. That looking for that edge between all that you bring to the moment of creating everything you know and have studied and all the people you've worked with and the research you've done, and then that ecotone or edge zone um, to all that you don't know, which is why you're writing, is to discover something you don't already know. Otherwise, why bother? And that's the place that I'm trying to share with the reader when I'm writing is the journey of, oh, what can I follow now? What thread really takes me into a realm where discovery is possible? And the books, um, my four books, that my sister was my colleague in Body Stories, and we did not know what we were doing. It was great. She had made books. She was a, a graphic designer and bookmaker. And I had a friend at Metal Brick College who was 35 and had written five books. So I said, well, um, how do you write a book? And he said, you sit down every day and you write. Period. So I did. I sat down and I wrote. <laughs> and I would encourage people to, to uh, consider that, that realm. When I was studying yoga years later at a big retreat, one of the yoga masters was asked, you know, how do you know when you're a yoga master or a yogini? And he said, you do yoga every day for 10 years. And if you miss a day, you start counting over. And I just love that, that whole um, idea that what you're, doing is doing the practice and then you learn the process but it's very different now with blogs and more spontaneous writing where it's not so much about um, maybe it's not so much about honing and uh, paring down what you say but my sister what I was beginning to say is the layout for body stories there's so much white space in the book the margins are so people can write their own ideas if they get an inspiration or an idea. Um, and that partnering of leaving space for the reader to fill in has really carried through all four books very generously with, with publishers that are willing to juxtapose text and image and space, um, story, content, not just word. So I think my, um, I don't know if it's my gift, but my interest is really in assembling. And each of my books has that combination of visual image and story and content information. And Kendrick, can I, can I comment on that for a moment? 
Yeah, please. There's an assembling that is of interest mm-hmm. to me, not just the word itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I've read body stories a few times and I'm reading body and earth right now. I love the formatting. I love the fact that there is space for writing, but also for space, because it's something very important, uh, especially in, in body and earth. I think there's more of that coming into that about the space of where a body is defined by the space around it uh, and the spaces that we live in. So for me, I, I always took so much of the white space around. Well, it's two things. It's one one as, as the writing or one as the space, but also I love how you have, I mean, the book is, is both of them have, the, the margins will also sometimes have little, little small stories uh, or little, little snippets that are like amazing. I mean, I've reshared a lot of those on on social media because the way that I read your your a lot of your writing, it'll maybe only be you know three or four lines, but they're they're so rich. I mean, even in this conversation, it's similar. There are moments when I want to say, "Wait, can we can we stop for a second? I need to I need to digest this." And and it, it, going back to what you were saying earlier about, I almost can't look at the screen as well because there's so much information coming into me right now. And luckily I get to edit the talk. So I'll, I'll have time to, to go slower in, in that moment. But in those spaces, to me, it just, it was almost, almost sort of similar, like um, when you're hanging a picture on the wall, you know, so in some of the, some, does it, where does the picture go? How does it fit in the wall? Sometimes the space is empty. Sometimes there's a little bit of a, like in the, in this current, I want to say it's called the farm stories or the, there's, there are certain, um, and, and they, they go from from just there, but in the next chapter, there's a uh, not the same, but there's a, a something similar or a theme. So you have it, it's a multi layered book or books. Again, I've only read two, so I, I can't speak about all of them. But the so much so much thought has been put in, into it, and it's not just words, 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 uh, because that that would that would be too much at all. Yeah, it's great. It's interesting, Andrew. Years later, when I was um, really fascinated with the layers of the nervous system and teaching layers of the nervous system, I looked at those first two books and I thought, you know, what I'm really doing is is sort of separating out these different nervous system dimensions. So the factual information is cortical. The side margin stories are really limbic brain. And that's if you go in a bookstore and watch someone read my books, all they read is the side margins. <laughs> if you have a particular question, you go to the information. But the introductory images are really the intuitive aspects and the more autonomic aspects. And then the, the exercises are or more the, you know, the, the somatic brain, the movement brain aspects, bringing movement in. So that was, it was kind of interesting after the fact to start to understand what I had intuitively created to begin with. And part of that was teaching in a, in a college. So I had to be very clear what was factual and didn't have a personal, you know, hint to it. Although any writing has a, you know, has a philosophical bent. You're not absent in what you write, but there's an attempt to be very neutral in, in writing information. Um, but the stories, I was allowed to bring my experience in. And I needed both to be interested um, in, in the material. And of course, as a visual artist by training, 
I wanted images. I wanted the juxtaposition where you don't know what the image means. It's not a representation of the word. It's an evocation of an experience, the, the art images. Illustrations are different. They're trying to show something, but the introductory images are all by artists that are, that are doing a, pointing in a similar direction as the content, but they're not telling you what to think or experience. Yeah, layers. And I think, you know, I think one of the things that I loved in body work, um, doing my explorations myself, teaching experiential anatomy for, you know, 30 years or 40 years or however, I don't, I better stop counting, was learning the layers of touch where, you know, the heat of your hand or teaching dance, I would find this just standing next to someone is going to affect what they're doing. And, you know, however close I got would affect it more. But then there's the heat around the body. And then there's the touching of the skin layer, which is loaded with sensory feedback throughout. And then there's the under the skin with the fascial layer, fluid layers that are right there that you can touch. And then you can go deeper and you can feel through the muscle. And it's not, not that hard to differentiate between skin and um, muscle that meat of the body, and then you find the bone. And then you can be more subtle than that if you want, but that's plenty. And then you can come back from bone to muscle, to skin, to heat. But knowing as a dancer or knowing as a body worker that when you touch someone, you have a choice about what layer you're touching. And if I want to move someone or give them feedback through their bones, it's a different kind of touch than if I want to give feedback through the skin or through the heat. That's so true in dance. People touch, 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 you know, these days on, on stage. And what does it mean? And what layer are you really trying to touch in someone in performance? Same with the audience. Are you trying to hit them with some energetic, um, you know, experience or are you trying to let them feel their own muscle or get a kinesthetic empathic response so these layers and dimensions i think fascinate me at an experiential level at a writing level at a performative level so i love hearing what you how you've used your experiences embodiment to create various projects, whether it's writing, dance. Um, but as I'm hearing your stories, I can't help but wonder what was the early, early life of Andrea Olson? Like what, what exposures or interests did you have kind of to, to cultivate these projects now later in life? Thanks for bringing us back, Nikki. That's where we started. And I, I went a whole different pathway. <laughs> you do have to have a sense of humor, don't we? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, those year, early years, uh, I claim very important. I grew up on a farm. My parents were both uh, artists and teachers, but they had moved to a farm in Illinois. So it's that flat, flat land in Illinois. Um, so I kind of thought everybody grew their own food, created things. And, um, you know, had a life <laughs> that involved those dimensions. I didn't realize that that was moderately un unusual for, you know, for farmers to also be artists and for 
artists to be educators and all those layers. So that's part of sort of in my blood, those layers, um, attention to the landscape and move and, uh, that creativity is a daily event in your life that, that, that requires hours of practice, not just, you know, when you have something left over in a day. And that how you feed yourself, what nutrients you put in your body affect your mood, your energy, your interactions. So, so that's something in the, on the farm, because it was so flat in Illinois, I, I would spin and spin in the fields because you could see 360 degrees around the body. And my sense of myself was I could go anywhere from that landscape and would. I could and I would. You know, there weren't mountains in the way. There weren't roads. It's just like, whoa. Uh, and also running and um, very physical relationship to a very fertile landscape. But then I would drive, we would drive 13 miles. I would be driven 13 miles to a ballet class in the city nearby many days a week, eventually every day a week, but in the beginning, many days a week, you know, from six years old, six was tapped and then seven, you're allowed to start ballet. It was a Russian ballet, wonderful teacher, very skilled um, educator. So, so ballet and the discipline of dancing was also part of being a farm girl. And then in the winters, we would leave the farm. We didn't have many animals there. We, we would go to Florida, uh, where I am right now on this very same beach. I've walked for 63 years. Um, where in Florida are you? Where it's near Delray. It's called Briny Breezes. It's a okay. trailer park. It used to be sort of an artist gathering spot. And we have a trailer that's four minutes from the beach. And it's surrounded by mansions now. When I was a kid, there were four, you know, kind of wild forests and, you know, beautiful orange groves and lots of, lots of uh, nature. Now it's very developed. But the Atlantic coast. Uh, and so there would be a migration from the Midwest in November, we would go down to Florida and I would go to school in both places. And the schools were pretty bad in both. So it didn't really matter a whole lot where I, where I was. <laughs> and one of my promises to myself as a child, and this is a little ostentatious, but I remember standing at my child desk when I was six and promising myself that I wouldn't forget what I knew when I started school. You know, there's a blue desk. I was standing there. There's a window. I, it's a very vivid, intuitive, like hit about something. And I was thinking about it when I was considering our podcast today because um, that underpinning between what my experience is and what I'm being told to think has always been an interesting edge. And I would often, when I think about what books actually influence me, I would carry a book around like the title, but not necessarily read it. Like Mabel Todd's book, The Thinking Body. I finished graduate school. I walked through a bookstore. I saw it. I picked it up. I don't think I ever really read it, but the idea of a thinking body was just like, oh, of course. 
<laughs> and the same with, you know, the Odyssey, which was, you know, probably my breakthrough writing moment in, 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 as an undergraduate, the idea of a journey. Again, I don't know if I read it all the way through, but I wrote it. That was my first piece of writing that just wrote me. It came out fully formed and quite like almost from channeling somebody else that knew about the Odyssey. And it put me in an honors track for English, which I should never have been in. But uh, so I think what I'm, what I'm just saying is there's something about um, experiences that come through you that are more intuitive, change your life, those mark, marking moments. And then the more horizontal, the landscapes you've inhabited, the people you know, and meet the influences you bring to an experience. Yeah, and then the depth that's underneath it all, these, ex, you know, the life death moments, almost being drowned in the ocean or in Illinois, the tornadoes, this sense that nature isn't just a beautiful thing, it's, it can kill you. Art making isn't just romantic, it can kill you. Religious explorations are not just fantastic. You can die, you can get thrown off if you go too far out of the nervous system. So how to self-regulate so that you can go into the unknown and come back safely and share what you've experienced. It's been there a long time in my life. I think ballet was with a well-taught teacher was such a training ground in meeting momentum, meeting friction with your foot on the earth and understanding that balance is no sensation, minimal sensation. The minute you start thinking about balance, you fall. And you balance a lot in ballet. <laughs> so uh, it's really deep learning experiences from each discipline that, that I was trained in. And I never thought of them as sort of luxury or secondary. My husband reminds me that that's, that's unusual for if you're not from a family that values the arts as sort of essential. Um, it can be a kind of a different journey for some people who have to kind of prove that doing experiential practices with the body or pr prove to oneself that there's a value in movement or a value in creativity. I grew up where they were essential. They were food. Not like I love how you with that discussion how you honored the 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 spectrum of the the two whether you're talking about dance or appreciation appreciating nature that really homing in on the the essence of balance yeah yeah i also where i am currently right now in in the boston area and starting starting uh moving back here having having been abroad and seeing things different, hearing what you say here is sort of in regards to the, it's okay, like, it's okay to, um, to experience, to not have the, um, I don't know, lack of words, because it's so rich inside right now. I grew up in a lovely family, it's not that, but I didn't grow up in an, an artistic family. Uh, and I was around, I had friends who were artists, I never fully got it. I have, I have clients who are very famous artists, and I never fully Got it, and, and I'm, I'm understanding more or less why, as you speak now, 
to the the point that when my wife and I have a kid, I almost want to throw them into an art school <laughs> um, because there's a it's again it's still a balance of a, I would say a linearness versus a non-linearness. Uh, the experience being a the, the experientialness being somewhat of a non-linearness uh, and or an allowing to be non-linear, allowing the experience to be what it is versus the the word I'm using linear this mind being a set goal this has to be that this is what we're going towards as opposed to the experience coming it out which I, I would say is where I've somehow transitioned to hence this podcast as we talked about earlier like we see where the conversation goes and so we started with something and we went on another tangent yet that tangent was exactly the experience that quote unquote needed to happen to allow us to to be where we are and getting in that balance of push and pull and and being in that in that space between which isn't a lifeless space it's not a giving up it's very much full of life the balance of of the cortical and the not cortical as i hear it i don't, I don't these are these are somewhat of my words and i don't I could be off still, but I'm I'm really enjoying it. And one thing I'm piecing together is as I relate with you through through our talks, through my going to your class, and through the book, your books, which I would just recommend for everyone, are paintings. The word, the way that you write, the way that you speak is uh, is artistic. It is it is a painting. Uh, that may not be the right word, but so you that. I can see how that growing up in that has allowed, even though I'm hearing you say it's not easy <laughs> and I'm making it sound very easy because it reads that way. Um, it is very, it's all, it's all artistic, whether it's painting, whether it's dance, whether it's body work, whether it's the, the sort of eco psychology aspect of it, of how, of where we are in this phenomenological space world. It's all very, uh, artistic fluid I'm, I'm i'm running out of words i don't know how that sounds uh i hope it doesn't sound judgmental <laughs> towards you no no i think um you know i am an educator i'm from a lineage of educators so i think part of finding words that evoke experience rather than pre-describe what someone's supposed to experience is part of being a good educator but the one thing i wanted to say andrew relative um, to this whole idea of creativity, because it can get pretty mushy, <laughs> art. Um, my experience, having gone through art through uh, undergraduate as an art, visual art major and graduate school as a dance major, and then falling in love with anatomy all the way through that. So science was always part of it. But one of the things that it being trained in art teaches one is that you can envision uh, something, you can have a vision, you can do all the hard work to bring it to completion, get lost, the nonlinear that you're talking about, be surprised, and then you can actually finish. So you have a product. So it's not just getting lost in the, um, the journey. And my, my husband was also trained as a in as a sculptor and he now does conservation work and people do not understand how he can hold a vision pull these many parts together get everything get confused it's not linear and then actually you know bring a multi-million dollar project to completion and it's his art training so i just i wanted to mention that distinction between um 
the nonlinear and then the capacity to actually complete something, which you're doing with these podcasts. You edit them. It's, it's not easy, as well as getting, choosing who, 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 um, who's, who's in the matrix that you're sharing with people. But also, I wanted to just mention that one of my passions with books is that they can be translated in different languages. So as they emerge <clears throat> from my body uh, and they come into words in English, they can also be translated by people doing body work, experiential work in their home language, which is very important because a lot of people study body, body work in the U.S. or dance in the U.S. or this lineage. Um, but then they go home and they have to use terminologies like embodiment in English. And so to have these, um, these translations, which the Body and Earth website is now in 10 different languages, and people read it and they just write in and they translate and they get a colleague and they translate um, in their home language. And the practice of uh, words, how you say something, how you share an experience in different languages in a global community that we're in right now, seems so important. I try to never assume that everyone in a room speaks English. So if you're listening to this podcast and you'd like to imagine some of the experiences in your home language, I so welcome that because we are all in this together and the richness of the Finnish language or the Italian language, different cultural sounds, uh, and how they resonate in the body and with each other, as well as the gestures and the embodied um, movement that is part of that in specific places. You know, here's all those layers again. I don't like to just talk about the body without the context. No, I mean that's that's again. You're speaking. You're speaking so much. The you know, language has become a very important. Uh, thing in my in my body work world um what are we what are we saying what is the person saying uh i work because i work internationally are they saying an english translation are they saying a cultural thing they have to say because that's what the culture and language and culture get tied in what are they expressing how are they expressing um and I'm, I'm fascinated. I've, I've been going down these deep dives into semantics, into semiotics, into different fields of, of linguistics and, and, and language. Um, I'm studying Chinese right now because of my, my wife, and I want to speak uh, speak better. Um, also, her parents can't speak English. So there's like a lot in that. And um, I mean, I actually, it's it's fascinating. Even, even this morning, I was listening to a talk from a, a cognitive scientist, but how we the, the grammar we use how we how we use grammar actually is a structure uh, uh, and i'm writing an article for the rolf journal about structure through words right now um but how we how, how we use language is how we structure the world and therefore the structure of the world is how we walk through that structure how we exist within that structure and that structure changes based on the the context of of the grammar there, there is a there is a somewhat and how it gets processed in the brain the structure is relatively similar but the the structure of of the world we're living in is partly defined within the language and the culture around it and it's it's fascinating to see how how people exist within different parts of the world through those those structures so yeah wow 
I'm just saying yes. Just a yes. Well, what do you think? Does that feel like enough? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things is that I've mentioned to you is it feels like enough and, and just an opener. And then so it's one of the things I said to you last time we spoke was maybe it's a, a first time conversation and we have you later on to have to have more. But I, I like the idea of, of somewhat having shorter talks so that we don't override people uh, where it's like, oh, because people love to hear it. But it's like, oh, an hour. I got to listen to an hour. Whereas instead of giving chunks, because uh, because we could talk all day. <laughs> there's so there's so much information. There's so much to share. So my answer, my answer is of course a yes and a no. That's my answer for everything. Uh, Nikki, would you like to chime in? Uh, yeah, I think there's. I you know it, it, I'm also feeling like a, a appropriate stop for digestion of everything that we've spoken about, and just I feel like what I wanted to follow up with is how this conversation has really, again, you brought it up brilliantly, Andrea, when talking about holding the, the full spectrum of various things. We're talking about nature, art, and here in regards to language, how you know language has so much richness by the influence of culture, in in body stories, how people have grown up, and then and then the other spectrum of while language is important, there's also the component of nonverbal communication, and how we are human have very uh, similar reactions to being beings walking this earth, and and in all the the extreme of, you know, being very defined by language, culture, and then just the bare minimum of being, you know, communicating through nonverbal communication, the richness in between. And in that, there's all these essence of being embodied. And I think I loved, you know, I think with a lot of your hearing, just meeting you and doing a little bit of research on you, I feel that, um, you have a great expertise of honoring spectrums and holding balance in that and definitely and giving room for people to have while you're sharing your experiences and your knowledge there's also this permission to kind of cultivate your own and and that's the embodiment part Mm -hmm. when I wrote the place of dance book the third book I thought it was going to be this little short book kind of wrapping up my dance career as an educator. And then I realized how much there was to say about what we know through the body. You know, dance to me is, you know, is how we live a life. It's not, it's not just the performance realm. So I'm affirming what you're saying, which is there's a lot between the nonverbal and the verbal. And, um, I I would hope these days uh, where people seem to be able to get polarized or to sort of take a stance and not be able to shift perspectives, it seems a little bit kind of a conflicting time. Maybe it always is. 
um, that it's helpful for people to have experiences like this, like the podcast, like the books, like um, performances, like bodywork sessions, where you can practice seeing different lenses, different perspectives. I don't just mean political. I mean, you know, like now I'm looking at the lens of nature. Now I'm looking at this through the lens of a of people. Now I'm looking at this through the lens of plants and the health of the soil or you know, being able to shift dial different perspectives so that we can communicate with each other and hopefully survive. Yeah. Can I, can I actually, there was a, there was a story I wanted to share, which will tie in very perfectly here. And then and maybe we'll, we'll lean to wrap up about seeing through another end lenses. So there's, I don't want to go too much because I don't, I want people to read your, your books without, you know, saying too much, but there was a story where you, you mentioned uh, about getting off an elevator and, and then uh, the person following you uh, and the foot in the door. And when I read that, I mean, and it's not a lot of words, and I read that and I, I just started to cry. Um, and it brought me into the, the space of being, uh, of being a female, uh, of being in a body and in a culture that I don't, uh, I don't live in. And it was very, it, it shifted my, it shifted a, a lot to me. Um, so it, it was, it, it was very beautiful. Um, but it did, it, it's exactly what you're saying. It, it gave me another perspective of seeing things um in, in different ways uh um in those who are who are listening won't see there are some tears Stephen. as i kind of relive it right now it's a lot of what what you say and there's so much more to be said and we don't have time for that <laughs> right now um and and so i see that as a beautiful way of of being able to kind of wrap it up for today to respect our, our times all three of our times and the listeners time and still also to recognize there is a part of me that wants more uh, and that's fine uh, and that just won't be for today can i invite just a closing um practice please please when i'm doing um regularly for myself one of the chapters um in moving between worlds is on emotion and that's what been one of the challenging Dyna uh, investigations for me, maybe Nikki, as an Olson, you can relate being a Nordic <laughs> person for me. It's all, you know, silent slightly. I, I have had a very introverted nature, but let me see. Now, where am I going with that? Is that I'm enjoying being with you. I'm enjoying our conversation. And there are so many times in our day that we enjoy something, but then we have to run on to the next thing. So taking a moment to breathe in enjoyment and letting it permeate the body toward joy, which to me is a shift between nervous system and endocrine system, where all of a sudden it's not the idea of it. Oh, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. It's the whole body sensation of uh, kind of a flood of, Ah, here's a moment of joy that we're sharing. The end. Thank you for that closure. I um, yeah, that brilliantly put into an embodied experience and also the the physiological 
response. So the very, you know, esoteric, but also very grounding in our, in our body. Thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Andrea at andrea-olson.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate it if you would leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us, and we greatly appreciate your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye for now.